Welcome to Grand Rounds Nation on ReachMD, presenting the best Grand Rounds from across the country. I'm Dr. Matt Bernholtz. This week's Grand Rounds comes to us from an AMIA education activity titled Cervical Cancer Screening. Here's Dr. Thomas Wright, Professor of Pathology at Columbia University College of Physicians and Surgeons. Hello, I'm Tom Wright, and I would like to talk today about improving cervical cancer screening. Cytological screening for cervical cancer, which is widely known as a pap test, is the single most successful cancer screening test, and it is widely considered to be a major success story in cancer prevention. In large part, this stems from the fact that cervical cancer is an almost ideal cancer for prevention through screening. This is because, first, cervical cancer has a long precursor stage, which allows the precursors to be identified prior to the onset of cervical cancer. It takes, on average, 10 to 17 years for a precursor lesion that we refer to as a cervical intraepithelial neoplasia, or CIN lesion, to progress to a frankly invasive cancer. A second attribute is that high-grade CIN lesions are easily treated once they are detected, and once treated, are unlikely to recur. The final attribute is that cytological screening is relatively non-invasive and is also relatively inexpensive. Although many of us may lament the days of a $10 conventional pap test, the current test, which generally costs only $25 to $36, is quite inexpensive compared to other cancer screening tests such as mammography or colonoscopy. Importantly, numerous studies have shown that when used appropriately at the population level, cytological screening reduces the incidence of cervical cancer by 70% or more. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we had other cancer screening methods that could reduce the incidence of other cancers by 70% through screening? By 1975, there already was a considerable amount of cervical cancer screening taking place among whites in the United States, but there was much less screening among blacks. As a result, there was an almost threefold difference in the incidence of cervical cancer in the two populations. However, starting in the early 1970s, there was increased emphasis placed on screening black women. For example, in the early 1990s, the federal government put in place a National Breast and Cervical Cancer Detection Program. This program provides both mammograms and pap tests for free to uninsured, low-income women. As a result of targeting screening to low-income groups, the incidence of cervical cancer in blacks has dropped more than threefold. It also should be recognized that with increased coverage of whites and more stringent quality control programs in cytology laboratories, the incidence of cervical cancer has continued to drop in whites over the same period. Although the drop is less dramatic than that which was seen in blacks, a drop of almost twofold occurred between 1975 and 2007. According to data from the American Cancer Society, in 2010 there were about 12,200 cases of invasive cervical cancer diagnosed in the United States, and only 4,210 women died of cervical cancer. When viewed from the perspective of overall cancer-related deaths, or deaths in women, cervical cancer is no longer a significant problem in the United States. 
It accounts for less than one out of 50 cancer-related deaths. This reflects the remarkable triumph of cytological screening for cervical cancer in the United States. Having said this, though, it should be realized that despite the fact that cervical cancer can, and for the most part is, prevented by screening, each day 13 women continue to die of cervical cancer in the United States. Despite the success of our cervical cancer screening program in the United States, it is widely recognized that there are limitations to cytological screening. In the late 1990s, two evidence-based reviews of the performance of cervical cytology were conducted. Both found similar findings with respect to the sensitivity of a single pap test for detecting SIN2 plus lesions. A single pap misses almost half of all SIN2 plus lesions. However, it is important to recognize that most women do not get a single pap in their lifetime. Instead, they get multiple PAPs at relatively short intervals, and therefore the overall sensitivity of the screening program is much better than the sensitivity of a single PAP test. Cytological screening for cervical cancer does have a number of limitations. The first is that a single cervical cytology test has a relatively low sensitivity. In most of the historical meta-analyses, the sensitivity of a single PAP test for the detection of cervical disease has only been approximately 50%. Because of this relatively low sensitivity, women need to be screened at periodic intervals. This means that a call-recall system ideally needs to be put in place in order to make certain that women undergo routine screening and that abnormal screening test results are appropriately followed up. The other disadvantage of cytology is that it generates a number of false positive test results. These are women who have an abnormal cervical cytology but do not have a high-grade cervical cancer precursor lesion or an invasive cervical cancer. Today, almost 10% of all women screened in the U.S. will have an abnormal cervical cytology result. Two relatively recent surveys have been published of the screening histories of women diagnosed with cervical cancer. One was from Kaiser, Northern California, and took all women diagnosed with cervical cancer between 1995 and 2000. The medical histories were reviewed for the three years prior to the cancer diagnosis. A total of 833 cases were identified. Of these, 56% of women had not had a pap four to 36 months before their diagnoses. 32% were attributable to a pap detection failure in other words, a PAP was done, but was diagnosed as being within normal limits. And 13% occurred in women who had been appropriately screened and the PAP test found to have an abnormality. However, the abnormal test result did not get appropriately evaluated. Another similar study was published from Sweden, where they have national registries for PAP tests, cervical biopsies, and cervical cancers. Comparing the screening registry data with the cancer data shows that in Sweden, 64% of women diagnosed with cervical cancer have not had a recent pap test. Only 24% of the cervical cancers occurred among women who had been recently screened. In the 1970s and 80s, there was a considerable amount of cervical cancer screening being done in the United Kingdom. However, this screening had a relatively modest impact on the incidence of invasive cervical cancer. 
In fact, in the mid-1980s, it appeared that an increase in cervical cancer incidence was starting to occur. This led the National Health Service to introduce a national call recall program for cervical cytology in 1987. As part of this call recall system, incentives were provided to family practitioners to screen women under their care. There also was a considerable effort put into improving cytology laboratories. Once the call recall system was put into place, screening coverage increased dramatically from just over 40% to almost 90%. This resulted in a precipitous decline in the incidence of invasive cervical cancer over a relatively short period of time. Pathologists and cytology laboratories are very aware of the low sensitivity of a single cervical cytology and the potential for litigation when a woman who has been screened develops invasive cervical cancer. This has resulted in the laboratories classifying more and more cytology specimens as having minor degrees of cytological changes. Three consecutive surveys of U.S. laboratories conducted by the College of American Pathologists include over 400 U.S. laboratories and show a progressive increase in the number of PAPs diagnosed as ASCUS, low SIL, and unsatisfactory over the last decade. In 2006, the median overall abnormal rate was over 10%. Obviously, the prevalence of high-grade SIN and invasive cervical cancer in women undergoing screening is much lower than 10%, which is the overall rate of cytological abnormalities. Thus, the majority of women with cytologic abnormalities represent false positive test results. Triaging these women and performing colposcopy in many of them is both expensive to the healthcare system as well as inconvenient to the women. Let's now turn to changes that are being made to cervical cytology to help overcome its limitations. One of the biggest changes which has been made over the last decade has been the introduction of liquid-based cytology. There have been a number of meta-analyses of the comparative performance of conventional glass slide PAP tests with liquid-based cytology. The most recent analysis was done by Arben et al., who is an evidence-based medicine expert from Belgium who works with the Cochrane Collaboration. His group reviewed all of the published studies comparing liquid-based cytology to conventional PAPs from 1991 through 2007. An important part of this analysis is that they restricted themselves to studies in which both liquid-based cytology and the conventional PAP were either obtained from the same woman or from very similar cohorts of women. They also restricted their analyses to studies in which all subjects, irrespective of whether they had an abnormal PAP test, underwent colposcopy or the women were enrolled in a randomized clinical trial. This allowed them to only use data from methodologically good studies and helped assure that the answers they reached were not confounded by poor study design. Out of 126 reports, there were only eight studies that fulfilled their criteria as being of high quality. When they evaluated the results obtained from these eight studies, they concluded that the best data demonstrates that liquid-based cytology is neither more sensitive nor more specific for detection of high-grade SIN 
than our conventional pap tests. It is important to stress that two other reviews, one conducted in the United Kingdom for the National Health Service and an independent meta-analysis conducted in Australia, have reached the exact same conclusions. Liquid-based cytology was introduced into the U.S. in the late 1990s. When first introduced, it was widely perceived as being significantly more sensitive than the older glass slide pap test. Cytology laboratories immediately recognized that liquid-based cytology had considerable benefits. First, because the processing gets rid of much of the blood and mucus in the specimens, the slides are much easier for the cytotechnologists and pathologists to screen and review. However, the major advantages of liquid-based cytology is that it allows molecular testing for HPV, chlamydia, and other pathogens to be done from the residual fluid. It also allows us to perform immunohistochemistry using cell cycle markers and markers of a barrent S phase, which should hopefully further improve sensitivity of cytological screening. A final advantage of liquid-based cytology is that it is much more amenable to computerized imaging systems than are the older conventional pap tests. The most recent 2006 surveys of U.S. laboratories conducted by the College of American Pathologists reported the following rates of cytologic abnormalities for the two liquid-based cytology methods in use in the U.S. With respect to ASCAS, there was a slightly higher overall rate with ThinPrep compared to SurePath, 4.9% compared to 4.1%. There also is a slightly higher low-sill or greater rate with ThinPrep. Overall, the average rate of ASCAS or low SIL plus was 8.5% for ThinPrep compared to 6.9% for SurePath. It also should be noted that there is a big difference in the unsatisfactory rate with the two methods. The median rate of unsatisfactory specimens was 1.1% for ThinPrep specimens versus 0.3% for SurePath. Computerized image analysis systems are now available for both SurePath and ThinPrep liquid-based cytology specimens. These systems are essentially computerized microscopes that scan the slides and use sophisticated image analysis software to identify abnormal cells. This greatly facilitates screening because rather than have to look at every cell on the slide, the cytotechnologist only needs to look at the worst cells. This speeds up the slide read and allows the cytotechnologist to review more slides in a given period of time. There also is data suggesting that it improves sensitivity. Linking the microscope to the computer analysis system allows the robotic stage to move immediately to the fields that are most likely to contain abnormal cells. The trial that was used to obtain FDA approval of the BD focal point imaging system was a two-arm study comparing manual screening with computerized screening. It was carried out in four different laboratories and included 12,732 SurePath cytology specimens, each of which was evaluated using both the computerized imager and with manual screening. Computerized screening resulted in a 10% increase in sensitivity for low-sil plus cytology diagnoses and a 20% increase in sensitivity for high-sil plus, 
with only minor reductions in specificity. Thus, in the pivotal trial used for the U.S. approval of the imager system designed for use with SurePath, there was a significantly increased detection of high sil plus when the imager was used. The status of computerized imager systems in the U.S. in 2011 is that most cytology laboratories have now switched over to these imagers. This is because they believe that the imagers are improving workflow in the laboratory and are helping to reduce screening errors. Currently, there is rather limited data available for both the imagers used for thin prep specimens and for SurePath specimens that demonstrate a higher detection rate of HSIL when they are used compared to manual screening. With the SurePath imaging systems, a pivotal trial used for FDA approval showed a significant reduction in the number of ASCA samples from 4.4% when manual screening was used to only 2.7% when the specimens were analyzed using the imager. Another area where there is a lot of interest is in using molecular markers other than for HPV to identify SYN23 cells in cervical cytology specimens. P16, which is a protein kinase inhibitor that plays a critical role in regulating cell proliferation, is a prototypic marker. This is because P16 is massively upregulated whenever a high-risk HPV induces cervical neoplasia. Cytology studies have been conducted using a combination of P16 and KI67, which is a marker for cells that are proliferating. These studies have shown that you can get greatly increased sensitivity for detecting SYN23 when you utilize both markers and immunohistochemical staining of liquid-based cytology specimens. Another immunohistochemical marker, which is being actively studied, is called PROXC. This is a combination of two different markers referred to as MCM2 and TOPE2A. The combination of these two markers can detect cells which are showing aberrant S phase production. Aberrant S phase production is a good marker of cervical neoplasia, and large trials using PROXC and cervical cytology are currently underway. It is frequently difficult for pathologists to evaluate clusters of cells using cytology alone, but finding that they stain positively with the immunohistochemical aberrant S phase markers clearly indicates that this is high-grade neoplasia. The potential power of immunostaining for cells showing either P16 overexpression or aberrant S phase production has been recently shown in a German study where a group of women 30 years and older with negative cervical cytology results but who were high-risk HPV positive underwent colposcopy. In this study, the residual fluid from the initial pap test was immunostained for both P16 and KI67, finding both overexpression of P16 and a cell proliferation marker in other words, KI67, in the same cell is quite suggestive that the cell is derived from either a high-grade SIN or an invasive cervical cancer. Out of a total of 425 women who were high-risk HPV positive but with normal cytology, 
only 108 or 25 percent were dual stain positive. Among this group of dual stain positive women, 34 had biopsy confirmed SIN2 or greater. Among the 75% of women who were dual stain negative, only three cases of SIN2 or greater were identified at colposcopy. The performance characteristics of the dual staining using P16 and KI67 among women 30 years and older with negative cervical cytology who are high-risk HPV positive has an excellent sensitivity of adenovine SIN2 or greater of 92%. It also has a reasonable specificity of 82% given that this is a referral population. Just as importantly, the positive predictive value is 31%. This means that almost one out of three women who are dual stain positive was found to have biopsy-confirmed SIN2 or greater at the time of colposcopy. A negative predictive value of 99% means that just one out of 100 women who are dual stain negative were found to have SIN2 or greater. Although the data is not yet available, it is very likely that similar results will be seen when PROXC is utilized to stain cervical cytology specimens from women who are high-risk HPV positive. I would like to end up this lecture by discussing some recent changes to cervical cancer screening recommendations. In 2009, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists revised its cervical cancer screening guidelines. There are two quite significant changes. The first is that women under 21 years of age should not be screened, regardless of their sexual history. The second is that for women 21 to 29 years of age, screening should take place only every two years using cervical cytology. Once a woman reaches 30 years of age, you should extend the screening interval if using cytology to every three years, provided she has three consecutive within normal limit cervical cytology results. What this means in practical terms is that ACOG is now recommending against the annual pap test for routine screening of women of all ages. These are the issues that were considered when ACOG made the recommendation not to screen women prior to age 21. The first is that based on the U.S. SEER tumor registry, there are very few cases of invasive cervical cancer in young women. There are only about 11 cases per year in women 20 years and younger, and only a few more in women 21 to 25 years of age. In contrast, there are very high rates of cytological abnormalities in this age group. For example, in the Merck quadrivalent vaccine trial, the median age of the enrollees was 20 years, and 13% of the population had an abnormal cervical cytology on their intake pap. The other factor that needs to be taken into consideration is that most SIN23 lesions in young women appear to spontaneously regress in the absence of treatment. Moreover, most studies find that the treatment of SIN23 using methods such as LEAP or LASER has a significant impact on pregnancy outcomes, 
such as causing increased rates of preterm labor. The sum total of these considerations is that both the screening and adolescent health community has finally come to the realization that screening of adolescents does more harm than it does good. In women 15 to 19 years of age, the incidence of cervical cancer is only 0.3 per 100,000 women. And among those 20 to 24 years of age, it is only 2.6 per 100,000. When incidence of a condition is this low, screening does not work well. It should be emphasized that even the new ACOG recommendations screen at much earlier ages than other countries are doing. In the UK, for example, the recommendation is not to initiate screening until age 25 and then to screen every three years up until age 50. There are European Union-wide recommendations, although they are not widely followed. Most countries have their own recommendations, but the European Union recommendation states that you should initiate screening by age 30 and definitely not screen before age 20. Finally, in the Netherlands, they'd wait to initiate screening until age 30. Part of the reason that many countries wait until age 30 to initiate screening is that we know screening does not work well prior to age 30. The reason for failure of screening to protect against cervical cancer in younger women is not well understood, but it may relate to the fact that adenocarcinomas are more common in the younger age group and possibly because the uncommon cancers that do occur before age 30 are more likely to be rapidly growing than those which are identified in women over the age of 30. Rapidly growing cancers are less amenable to detection by screening, irrespective of whether we are talking about ovary, breast, or cervix. This lecture was designed to update you on the advances which have taken place in cervical cancer screening over the last decade. It is clear that cytological screening is the most successful of all cancer prevention programs and has reduced deaths from invasive cervical cancer in the United States dramatically. However, it is also clear that cytological screening has a number of limitations. And to overcome these limitations, we have done a number of changes to how we screen and how we interpret the screens. We have introduced liquid-based cytology, we have introduced image analysis systems, and we are now beginning to use sensitive immunohistochemical molecular markers to better pinpoint abnormal cells on cytology specimens. As a result of all these changes, screening recommendations are also changing. No longer are annual pap smears considered to be acceptable in the United States. We are moving to longer screening intervals, at least two years, and we are not screening women prior to the age of 21. Thank you very much.
You've been listening to an Omnia Education Activity presented on ReachMD's series, Grand Rounds Nation. Be sure to join us again for the next episode of the nation's best Grand Rounds. Until then, I'm Dr. Matt Bernholtz, and thanks for listening.